Thank you all. You may be seated. Um, I'm here just to introduce my dear friend, my brother in Christ, uh, Dr. Reverend Chet Harris. Uh, uh, been friends for uh, several dec- decades, haven't we? <laughs> We've been friends for a long time in serving the kingdom. And um, I'm just glad he's here. And, and uh, we're praying that um, uh, his words will be God's words. And we're praying that our hearts will be touched and we will hear and respond and do um, do something better than when we came in our hearts will be changed because we'll leave here differently. Just a little bit more Jesus in us, okay? And from all the singing and everything, and, and this is a good time. I introduce to you my friend, Chet Harris. Praise God. Just, just, just so you know, Chet's going to share here a sermon. He's going to share a word of God, and then as soon as service is over, he's going to talk to us um, about other things, okay? (laughs) My bias is that we've come to worship. You've not come to hear about anything that is about to split the church, or you shouldn't be. For the primary reason we come on the Lord's Day, we come to worship, hear the word of God, let the word of God rest in our hearts, grow in our hearts, and challenge us to live more like he has called us to live. So there's a definite separation here. And uh, when I came in, though, I gave a uh, PowerPoint presentation to Floyd, and he said, uh, I said, it's for my, uh, that'll be for the follow-up, not follow-up, for the next part of the morning, and it, it didn't work. And Floyd says, what are you going to do? I said, Floyd, you've known me long enough. I am not without words. I can manage without a PowerPoint. I preached without PowerPoint for 100 years. Not quite 100 years, but almost 50 years. I came into the ministry in 1975. I was 14 years old uh, at the time. And uh, remarkable, I was tall for my age. Now I'm short for my age. Just give you a, a couple words about uh, who I am. I, uh, I am a retired uh, United Methodist pastor, and I spent 43 years in ministry, active pastoral ministry. Although I had opportunities to step into uh, administrative positions in our conference and uh, accept churches outside of East Ohio and outside of the denomination, I chose to stay within the pastorate. That's what I was called to. I was called to be a pastor a minister of the gospel, and that's what where I believe God had called me for all these years. 43 years. I spent 28 years in my last uh, appointment at Duber UMC Church in uh, Canton, Ohio. You know, I've spoken to a lot of churches uh, through uh, since I since I retired. I almost say since I graduated. I keep saying that <laughs> since I graduated. You know, since I, since I graduated to unemployment. Um, the, uh, <laughs> those of you who are retired know exactly what I mean. Uh, but I've been in a lot of churches. I want to tell you, let me give you the favorite names for churches. Pleasant Grove. Pleasant Valley. Those are two of the favorite names. And then, of course, all the first churches, Trinity churches, Gilead churches. But I'll tell you, there is only one Duber church where I pastored over 20 years. Nobody has seen that name and said, you know, that's a catchy name. That's what we want to be called. Of course, it was called that because across the street at one time was the Duber Hampton Watch Factory. Anybody know anything about that? 
Oh, yeah, got a couple people here. It's a, it's a, it's a large pocket watches that were made from the turn of the century to mid-century, and then for a very little time they made regular wrist watches, actually for World War II, and they're the ones that began to, not, they weren't the ones that began it, but they, they started uh, painting the luminescent dials on it with the radioactive radium, and uh, literally doing that. And they were doing that for the World War II, um, basically the officers serving in World War II so they could see their watches at, at nighttime. It was kind of interesting history. And that isn't why you came here to hear all this history. <laughs> but uh, let me brag for a moment. We have three kids, my, my wife and I, Barbara. My wife would be here today, but she has a, uh, she's disabled. She has a neurological disorder that it just makes it very, very difficult for her to travel uh, the distance that I've been traveling every morning. And so she's at home. She's listening to, as she says, I'll listen to real preachers while you're gone. <laughs> and so she's always been a great encouragement to me. <laughs> she, really, she really is an encouragement. Uh, I have three kids, uh, one very civilized daughter and two working on civilized sons. Uh, our daughter is a United Methodist pastor in Florida, Keystone, Florida, in the northern part of Florida. I praise God from whom blessings flow. I'm going down there over, we're going down there over Thanksgiving. And I expect it to snow a lot while we're gone. Okay. Um, I wanted my other son, who's uh, our middle child, who's very interested in the outdoors and went to school to, uh, to learn all about the outdoors and graduate with a degree in, in the area of natural sciences. And uh, I wanted him to get a job out west. I had it all plotted out. Florida, out west, and then back here in Ohio. Well, he took a job with Spectrum because the job in which he trained for for four years, you under, anybody that has kids go to college will understand, there was no jobs in that area for him and uh, that he could support a family. So he's the guy who uh, now sits at a computer and plots out all the uh, places where the, where the uh, fiber optics need to go. I don't know where he got that concept. I never thought he'd work at a desk my entire life. And then our oldest boy is, works in Akron. He's a superintendent of a factory. And they're very close to us geographically. Uh, in fact, they, uh, we bought a house close to one of them, a um, little ranch house, just because as we get older, we know we're going to need help. And, and he was the only one I would trust wouldn't leave us somewhere and forget where we were at. So... Well, if you have your scriptures with you, and it was up on uh, a few moments ago, it was up on your screen. It's in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, and we're going to begin to read in verse 24. Now, you will, uh, you're going to recognize the scripture straight away. It's extremely familiar. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Now, this next statement is extremely important. And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now I want to talk to you about spiritual enrichment, about how to stay strong in Christ, how to go deeper in Christ. And we're going to look at this scripture that is often relegated to children's sermons and kind of that kind of orientation. Now when I was preparing this sermon a while back, I was watching the news and I heard it and then began to research about a building in San Francisco called Millennium Tower. Maybe you know about Millennium Tower. It's, it's much higher than our highest building in Columbus, the Rhodes Building in Columbus, our, our capital. It's 645 feet in the air. That's about 65 stories. Now, it's built for condominiums. And there's 419 condominiums in this incredible, sky, incredible skyscraper. And you can get one of those condominiums, now reach in your pocket, reach deep now, $1.6 to $10 million to purchase one. Yeah, baby, that's right. What wonderful place for a United Methodist Parsonage. Maybe not. It's got everything you want, beautiful views of the landscape around, and if you stand on tippy-toe, you can even see... Unless you're up really, really high in the condo. Incidentally, it's more expensive when you go higher. Okay? You can, you can see the Bay Area. And if you're into wine, I am not. But if you're into it, you got your own wine cellar. you got a French restaurant. you got a fitness center, which obviously I'm not too much into. And you've got an owner's club. But there's a problem. And it's a problem you just don't want to have. The building started to lean. And they noticed this when one of these individuals that paid all this tremendous amount of money put his very expensive orange beside that very expensive squeezer. You know, my orange squeezer is I put it on top of a cup and, you know, squeeze it out. This one you put in a machine and it squeezes it out for you. But as they went to reach for that orange, it began to roll down his counter. Now that's not something you want to have happen. And then they began to hear creaks. They must have been younger because I hear creaks and cracks all the time. But began to hear sounds from the walls and things in which you don't want to hear. Those kind of sounds that your spouse wakes you up at night and says, something's wrong and something was. Because it began to lean. At first it was leaning two inches. Six inches at the top. Oh, you know... That's going to happen. You're fine. And then one window, look at these windows, suddenly just cracked, just splintered, you know, those kind of web splitters. And so they called up, uh, we would say the janitor, they call maintenance engineers. He came up and looked at it, and they brought the people up, and he says, a bird hit it. I am certain a condor with a titanium beak was going at the speed of sound and went right into that window. Well, no. 
it cracked as other windows would because it now was leaning 14 inches. Well, I checked the other day, a couple weeks ago actually, and it's at 17 inches. And they've done everything they can think of to stop it from leaning. And they've actually had to stop because everything they did just agitated it. They began to blame people. I love it. When there's a problem, you've got to find somebody to blame. So they, they blamed the architect. The architect says, no, my plans I gave to you, it has to be the city planners who approved them. Well, the city planner says, it has to be the people that signed off on them, each and every one of the departments. If you ever build a house, you know what that's like. They put that little sheet in your house, and they go in and check it off as every part, you know, the heating and the cooling and the electric and the plumbing. And they went through that whole thing. And then they went to the builders, the people that built it, and said, did you cheap out on us somewhere? And they had to bring all the evidence in, what they spent, what they built, as it was specified. And they went on and on and on trying to find who in the world they could blame because, of course, lawsuits were coming. But the big question was how could this multi-storied, multi-million dollar building suddenly start leaning? And it was very simple. Bedrock in that area is 200 feet down. They decided to go 80 feet down. And thought if they pour a thousand pillars, a thousand cement column pillars, it would adjust the building. And keep it just perfect. Now what in the world were they thinking? Why go 80 feet when you could go down to bedrock 200 feet like all the buildings around you? I want to talk to you about how important it is not to be like the buildings around us, but going deep until we hit the bedrock of our faith, the Word of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our relationship with God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, how important that is to hit the rock-solid faith. Let me move into a little different kind of illustration. I have a spiritual gift that is not listed in the Bible. And I want to praise God, whoever made that fudge this morning. Is that person here? Who made that fudge? Who bought the fudge? Did you make the fudge? Spirit moving through me or all that sugar right now, but wow. 
The spiritual gift I'm talking about, it's an erroneous, it's not a spiritual gift, and it's, it's not in the Bible, and you're not going to find the Bible, is that I really like to eat. Uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a hobby. And I enjoy food. And I wouldn't have thought that at the age of 70, I'd be with my grandchildren, of all things, looking at the directory, which you now have to find on the computer because... Where do you find a TV directory today? You know, I don't get a newspaper and all that kind of stuff. So I look. And we're looking for cooking shows. Do you watch cooking shows? You know? No. Come on, guys. You watch cooking shows? I never thought I'd be excited looking for uh, cupcake battle wars. You know, cupcake wars. And who's going who's, who's gonna to win this Halloween contest? I, I don't know. I can't wait. And we watched those things, and I became very interested. And a while back, I started to watch... A guy named Anthony Bourdain. Now, I liked him because he went all over the world and introduced us to all kinds of different foods. And I've been privileged to preach the gospel and go to many different countries. I've been, uh, been to Mexico. Uh, I've been to Haiti uh, six, seven, six times. Uh, I've gone to uh, Africa. I've gone to Costa Rica. I even traveled to Mississippi. <laughs> and... Um, you know, introduced to all kinds of foods and, and stuff in which, you know, I, I would tell the team, now, listen, you've got to know who prepares the stuff that you eat. And you've got to be able to recognize it because you don't know what you're eating. And, and I just break down. You know, if, if somebody offers me something, uh, I, I, I have to try it. I don't want to embarrass them. And that's kind of how I was raised. You know, if somebody invites you into your home, you got to eat what's prepared. And uh, so I kind of practice that. But Anthony Bourdain, you know, he said it's okay. You know, he got like 20 shots every time, immunizations every time he left the country, I'm sure. But Anthony Bourdain was just a, a fascinating person. Fascinating. The day after, though, the news of the tragedy that he had committed suicide, my wife and I were in Holmes County, and we were making arrangements to have some uh, dining room chairs made to match our, um, I like to call it an antique uh, dining room suit. But to be honest with you, it's just old. Um, and I'm too cheap to buy a new one. And I mean, and, and I know, you know, nobody hardly buys those anymore anyway. China cupboard and all that stuff. But we were there, and we had made arrangements. And after we made all the arrangements, this guy was in his early 30s. He was a vice president of this company and, and this furniture store. And he says, can you, can you take a few minutes? You're a minister, aren't you? I said, yeah, that's right. He says, can you come here and talk? So we came in, and he asked me the question, point blank, why do you think Anthony Bourdain took his life? Now, the reason for that is, that I found out after we had our conversation was that a, a young man, uh, Amish young man in his teens had just taken his life. And the whole community was trying to figure out what was going on in his life. We didn't see anything, but were they looking at all? And that's what they were asking themselves. Why do you think Bourdain took his life? Now, the only thing that I could think of, and that which came to my mind, was a quote that I believe typified his worldview. That is how he looked at the world. 
and how then he lived out that view in the world. This is what Anthony Bourdain says, stated over and over again. Your body is not a temple. It is an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Now let me say that again. Your body is not a temple. It is an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Here is a man who rose to unprecedented acclaim, not only among the chefs of the world, but the entertainment world. Not an easy route to go. One could say in a breath that he had it all. But did he? Did he really have anything? And did he have that which he had gone deep enough Or just skim the surface? Did he have that which was sustaining him? That could feed his soul? The truth of his statement is the foundational worldview of many people today, cross generationally. And frankly, it's built on sinking sand. It's an easy worldview, and it looks good. And it, you could build upon it, and for a season, it looks like you've got your act together. But it's just like quicksand. It looks like the sand over here, but the sand over here is quicksand because there's something running underneath it, and that the grains are just a little bit different, and they do not, in their coarseness, bind to each other, but actually act like little wheels that draw you in and the water underneath is a constant suction it looks great we have a tendency to go deep just deep enough in our scripture today I want you to consciously and spiritually move deeper into a simple truth that I think can change us. And that's what Scripture needs and what it's called to do. Again, don't relegate it to just a children's story or a quick kind of bumper sticker that you put on your cars, Jesus is my rock. It's beyond bumper sticker theology. It asks the questions, what do I build my life on? What life teachings govern me? How deep do I go in the word of God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit? Am I a temple of the Holy Spirit? Or am I an amusement park for the mere delight of my senses, touching momentary pleasures, but never... Never with my sights on eternal rewards. Jesus confronts us with a simple and profound question and the frame of construction by two builders. He says one was wise and one was foolish. Now he doesn't say one knew better how to build than the other. I think we can pretty well assume that each of the buildings that were erected looked pretty spiffy, looked good. That's not what he's saying. They're both equally skilled. You see, the world is is equally skilled to have an appearance that everything is great. 
but doesn't have the stability, doesn't have the longevity, doesn't have the depth that truly can face what life itself throws at us. We need to grasp that we all have the same opportunity to go deep and that the choice is ours. We know when we've gone deep and we know when we haven't. I don't think it's a mystery in each of our lives, in any of our lives. We know where our spiritual life is this very moment. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, do I give serious thought every day to that which will enrich my life spiritually? Because it takes time. It takes effort. I told my wife the other day, now, it's not that I'm not in the Word, but I said, you know, I, I think I'm not in the Word enough. And I said, we have to really take even more seriously our time together in the Word. It takes sweat, time, to reach that bedrock. Not just once in our life, but continually in our life. It might be slower. Sometimes it's slow going. I have people constantly say to me, you know, what program would you, you, you suggest that I could read the Bible in a year? And there are programs that I can suggest to you, but I suggest that you read the Bible, and as you read the Bible, you ask that quintessential question, Lord, am I living the Bible? Even, I hesitate to say, Lord, reveal to me as I read it what I should be doing. It's in black and white. It tells me how I should be living. What I need to pray for Chet Harris is, let me be willing to admit it. Am I living it or not? A choice. Jesus calls us to put into practice what he has just taught us in this scripture. See, sometimes we take scripture and we'll take a few verses as we have this story totally out of context. And so we just talk about the building on sand or on rock. And we stop there. But we need to peel back and begin to look at all that he was teaching these people. So when he said, are you putting this into practice? That wasn't just grass from the air. That just wasn't a theoretical question that was, you've been sitting here listening to me, incidentally, probably for a good length of time. And he says, are you going to put this into practice? You see, it wasn't just an idea or a philosophy. Rather, it was going to be a lifelong, if you will, list of hard-hitting, rock-solid principles of life. And it even reaches back and embraces that which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now I want to go through the litany of all the things in which Jesus had been teaching them. Each and every one of these could be a sermon in and of themselves. But this is what he wanted them to grasp. And I'm not going to focus on any one of these. I'm just going to state them. I already have the Sermon on the Mount, all the Beatitudes. You could just rattle those. Most of us know them. And we could just go through those. But he went on to teach... Living as a witness before the world. Keep the commandments. Do not be controlled by your anger. 
Do not commit adultery. The sanctity of marriage. Be clear in what you agree or disagree. Do not resist an evil person. Love your enemies. Give to the needy without recognition. Pray in private with directness and purpose. Fast without appearing sad and hungry. Remember your treasure is in heaven. True treasure is a relationship with God. Stay focused on that which is holy. Do not, and I love this, do not gaze into the darkness. You cannot serve God in money. Do not be consumed by worry. Do not judge. Remove anything that blurs your vision of your following God. When you are sincere in holiness, again, remove that which blurs your vision. Do not up. Do not expect people to understand your life. It is sacred. It is holy. You are a disciple. They won't understand if they do not have a relationship with God. Ask and it will be given to you. You have a lifetime of choices. Remember, narrow, wide gate. And then he wraps it up just before he begins this teaching or this, if you will, challenge. Watch out. For false prophets. And he states, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I coached baseball for a while, and you umpired way more games than I ever coached. Okay? Um, and one of the things I learned from our head coach. And we started out with our, our kids. You, know, you just kind of grow up with your kids as they get older. And when they're young and they stand there and see that ball coming across the plate, and they, they, they just become mystified by it and freeze. And we told them, says, take your cut. Swing. Swing. Your swing is probably not going to be any better than that kid who's pitching the ball at you that can't get it across the plate. Swing, because you're not going to learn what it feels like to hit that ball unless you swing the bat. It was incredible. The whole concept was practice. Practice. I have a granddaughter that's taken, uh, uh, she's in ninth grade and she has taken volleyball extremely serious. And I'll see her outside hitting that volleyball up against the barn. Praise God they have a barn and it's not the house. And, you know, and she will practice and practice and practice and practice. And she's not a very big person. She's, uh, she's, she thinks she's rather short for her age and she's doomed in life. But she wants to overcome that by being as good as she can be. But she practices. You know, we've all, many of us, have endured the child who brings home the trombone, you know, the saxophone, okay, and practices. And of course, when they start, you know, you know the rest of the story. They've got to practice. Now, this is why I've kind of stated all these things that are funny and we kind of giggle at them and laugh at them. God doesn't expect you to achieve each and every one of those with a snap of your finger. And you won't. That's why the word practice 
means in their language that we keep at it. And we don't become defeated when we fail, when we swing and don't make contact. We keep at it. Darkness may be appealing, and every once in a while we give it a second glance or even a third glance, but we know we shouldn't have even done that, so we confess, we move on, and we practice not doing it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, these words are so very important. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, any other foundation is false. And it, will, you, it simply will not withstand the test of time. The foundation we need in our life is a foundation that we build upon the Word of God and upon the teachings of Jesus, upon the teachings of the Word of God, upon the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God, and we need to practice it. Why do you think ministers say we need to be in the Word every day? And we can't, we cannot get away from it. This Bible uh, has a nifty cover on it. I didn't buy this nifty cover. The Bible that it holds is literally falling apart. And I was preaching in Mexico City. And I held up, held up the Bible and um, First Timothy fell out. <laughs> and this guy came up to me and he said, can I have your Bible for a day? <laughs> you want to arm wrestle me for it? What do you mean you can have my Bible for a day? You know, don't you have a Bible? Oh, yeah. And, uh, but I want to make you a cover for the Bible to hold Timothy in there, to hold it together. He, he, and he made shoes. He didn't make Bible covers. He made shoes for a living. And he took this for about two and a half days, and he brought it back, and it was fit in my Bible. And, and it will never, it, it can't come off. It's fit just for this Bible, and it's held it together. And I, I, I won't use any other Bible. You know, there's so much you know, within that emotion, in that, in the gift of that. But the thing that struck me was, in those three days that he had my Bible, I felt that I was in withdrawal. Now, did I not have a Bible, other Bible with me? Actually, I didn't. You know, I don't travel with my commentary set, you know, in a bunch of Bibles. I had to keep borrowing Bibles. And I was reminded that when I choose to leave my Bible sit on the shelf, I should have that same feeling. So maybe it's a call for all of us to be more disciplined and truthful about how often we read the Bible. And I'm not a big person into reading huge, huge amounts of the Bible so I can say I read through the Bible, although I try to read through the Bible every year. The, the point is reading it and that word that we read begins to come into us to lay a foundation of how we should live. But I want to leave you with a final kind of illustration thought. You cannot do this alone. You can't. Jesus tried to impress this upon the disciples. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out in groups, twos and threes. You, you can't minister alone. You can't make, you can't make this journey alone. 
You've got to be with others. Wesley understood this, and that's why he started things called bands or class meetings, groups that you got together. And it was to study the Word of God, but it also was accountability and to strengthen each other. We are not all super spiritually strong at the same time. But if we're with a group in which when we feel weak and they're strong, they and their example and presence, we begin to feel strength. I'm sure that uh, you all know about those incredible guys called SEALs. And I guess women also, too. But these folks are incredible. They go through a training that right now they're looking at and they're suggesting, well, maybe we shouldn't make it so tough. But they, they go through rigorous training. After going through rigorous training from the branch of service they come from. And one of the things they do, they put them in groups of seven and they carry a 150-pound log. You've seen that. I'm sure you've seen it on the news or on TV or some TV program or movie program. And they're carrying... Now, you may have not noticed this, but they match them to size. Personally, if I would volunteer, I'd say, I want to be with everybody that's six foot three. Because then it would just be my, the tips of my fingers on that thing. Okay? I'm 5'10". That's perfect. No, I'm going to be with everyone else that's 5'10". And everybody that's 6'3 are going to be people around six foot. Because they all have to do what? They all have to carry their own weight. And when one is not carrying the weight, the guy behind you that notices you're not carrying the weight, he doesn't say, excuse me, but I think you ought to be holding the log too. He simply says, put your hand on that log or we're going to bury you. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't do that in our Christian faith, but I'm stressing you take it seriously. Because if everyone carries that 150 pounds, seven people carrying 150 pounds, although that sounds rigorous, it be, is doable. And it's meant to be doable. And it's meant to teach that you have to be a team. You're a team in this church. You cannot carry the weight of anything by yourself. You have to carry it together. You can't grow to the depth that God wants you to grow unless you grow together. When I was uh, at uh, Full Memorial, there was a uh, church that your pastor is somewhat familiar with. He came there after I was there to clean up the mess that I made. And... um, they had at that point uh, morning or, or groups of men called a covenant groups that met. And I gathered with a certain group of men at 6 o'clock in the morning. It was craziness. But our main, our main objective was to support each other, to pray for each other, make each other accountable. Are you in the Bible? Are you praying? Are you doing what God says? At 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm telling you, it's very difficult to lie at 6 o'clock in the morning. So years passed. I'm a Duber. I was a Duber 28 years. 
about 12 years ago, I went through cancer surgery. And it, you know, it was uh, a, a blessed recovery. I had stage 3 cancer, and I came through it 100%. In fact, my doctor, I haven't seen him for two years, and he sent me a letter saying, do you mind coming and just stopping by and seeing me? And I said, do you mind not charging me 95 bucks for coming in that room? But I'm going. I'm going. My wife said, he must want to see you. Maybe something's going on. She says, how would he know anything's going on? I haven't seen him for two years. So, but I need to go back. And I will. But after probably a decade being away from Full Memorial, I get a call from one of the guys in the group. No, it wasn't from one of the guys. It was from his daughter, who used to be in a semi-catatonic state in the morning as she was getting ready for school, and we would be downstairs making noise in the basement, and she would be upstairs getting ready for school, and she knew we met. And she knew that was important. Now, this is, this is critical. She knew that was important to her father. And she called me after all those years and said, can you touch base with your dad? I hear you had cancer. I said, I did. My dad's got cancer. Can you get in touch with him? And I called him before surgery. And uh, he was already at the hospital. It was many miles away. And I talked to him. And we prayed. Then he came home. And he fell into what many people do after surgery of that nature. He was depressed. And so I said, I'm coming over to your house. Well, I don't want you. No, this is not an option. I'm coming over to your house. So I went over to his house. He's sitting in the room. His wife answered the door and says, I don't know what you're going to do with him. He says, okay, I'll see what happens. So I went there. He's sitting in a room with all the drapes. It's a beautiful day like today. Drapes are pulled. He's sitting there in a chair, not even a comfortable chair, sitting in a chair just with his head down. He says, what in the world are you doing? He says, I have cancer. No, you had cancer. You don't know if it's gone. I don't care. What? I said, you got to go forward. So I opened the drapes. It was like, you know, it was a vampire. Oh, you know, light. He says, this is silly. I said, you own a company, don't you? Yeah. I said, what? Yes. What? Yes, I own a company. I said, go to work tomorrow. I can't. Yes, you can. Well, what if something happens? Pack a bag. Now, that's pretty harsh. Incidentally, for the women who are saying, you, can, you know, maybe they think that's a little harsh, it, guys often talk to each other in these kind of strange ways, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, two steps up from a locker room conversation. And he went to work. He says, he says, you know, I'm too weak to do this. I said, no, you're not. You'll be fine. Take a nap. You're the boss. Shut the door, lock it. Who cares? If you've got to take a nap, take a nap. But you've got to get back. You're past the length of time that you're supposed to stay home. Get there. Now, I share this, and he did that, and he, he went back to work, and he prospered, and he's doing great to this day. Now, I share that only to say... At times we need, and I think it's more consistent than we want 
to admit as we're holding the log up of all the responsibilities in our life and the difficulty in our life and we want to take our hands off, we need someone to say to us, if you don't hold up your part, we're not going to be able to hold up our part. So we need to do this together. And when he lists all these things and he says start practicing it, Again, number one, it's practice. You may not get it right. Don't become defeated. Get your hands up there. Hold that up together and go forward. Secondly, again, together. And I believe together in the presence and power of God, as the scripture says, nothing is impossible. You've got a great church here. You're a great group of people. You even sit in the front row. And I just want to pray a blessing over you as we really dig deep so we can hold up each other. Pray with me. Almighty Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for these folks, each and every one of them. What a blessing. It's a great church, Lord. And it's a great church, Lord, because you are a great God who loves and cares for each and every one of them. May we love you and care for you. Dig deep into your word so we can hold up together all that the world places on us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.